the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm always grateful. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio show dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions. Um, Anything that's been sort of rattling around in your brain, we'll do the best that we can to answer. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can also email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app and send a question to us that way. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one final time is 340-9585. Hey, because it's Tuesday, I don't have a lot going on, so let me get right to some questions. The one I want to deal with at the top uh, is the question that Jeff asked yesterday on the program. Um, uh, we had wall-to-wall phone calls after after while he was on the air, so I never really got a chance to get back. But Jeff was asking a question from... Uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 17, he said the parable of the talents, but it's really the parable of the minas, and there's a a whole different point there. And one of the things that he asked about uh, was um, a point I made in my Sunday message uh, about working. And what I said was, if you look at this passage of Scripture, um, you understand that Um, we have the responsibility to do more. Uh, In the first servant who came to him in the parable of the minas, it says, uh, your mina, uh, the first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned ten more. Um, Well done, my good servant. Now the master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. And Jeff's question yesterday at the end of his uh, uh, call to us was uh, about what do you do if you're tired? You know, you've been serving faithfully and you're tired. And he said it because in my message, I said, I wanted our church here to note that the reward for faithful service wasn't rest, wasn't taking time off, wasn't taking it easy. The reward is more work to be faithful with. Now, that's important because what we do in this life matters. And the ministry that God has set before us is a ministry Um, that if we are faithful with, it will increase in some unexplainable way. It will increase our capacity to enjoy heaven. Now, Jeff was asking personally yesterday, uh, what do you do if you're tired? Do you just take some time off? Now, uh, we all occasionally need some time off. We all get physically tired. I'm finding that the older I get, 
the more often I get tired and there's just nothing you can do about it. But here's what I think we're supposed to do, Jeff. I think we're supposed to protect that which is the most important. And what's most important is the work that, that the Lord has chosen us to do. And we got to be able to do it. I'll just give you a couple examples personally, uh, how, how I guard my time. And, and then we'll, um, we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Um, I do three services on Sunday. I, I do a Friday night service and then three services on Sunday. Um, that means Saturday, I don't do a lot. Now, occasionally I'll have weddings or funerals. Those are the kind of things that always happen. You can't do anything about them. But I don't do social stuff on Saturday. Uh, Saturday morning, we wake up. Paul and I, we have a prayer here, corporate prayer here at the church. Uh, we'll be here at 9.30. The prayer is from 9.30 to 10.30. And then every other Saturday, I have a pastor's discipleship class. We'll be having one this Saturday, and it goes from 10.30 to 12.30. And when we're done with that, I try not to do anything at all. Now, again, emergencies happen. Real life goes on. I understand that. But for the most part, I'm just going to do nothing watch college football or just take a nap or whatever it is. Uh, I'm just going to be in bed as early as I can. I want to be rested. I recognize the privilege and the responsibility uh, that I have of, of uh, sharing God's word three times on Sunday morning. Uh, and so what I have to do is just protect myself to be sure that I'm able to do what God's asked me to do. It's also true that God expands our ministry. Again, more work. If you're faithful in little, God will give you the opportunity to be faithful in much. It's one of the things that the parable teaches. Um, And God will always provide opportunities to rest. All we have to do is be good stewards of our time. We don't neglect him. A day off doesn't mean that we, we don't talk to the Lord. It doesn't mean we're not in the Word. It doesn't mean that we don't pray. Uh, it's just sometimes you've got to sit down and take some rest. Uh, I, in the past, have not been really good at that. Um, I have a high capacity for work, and so uh, I can just keep working. As long as I keep going, if I stop and slow down, then I'm done. But as long as I keep going, I can work a long, long time. Uh, and I have learned that uh, I'm not the man I used to be. Uh, I don't have the energy level that I had. So I have to protect that which is the most important. So Jeff... Thanks for that. Uh, All of us, we need to understand that God left us here to work, not to rest, not to have fun, and yet he will provide both fun and rest in those times that we really, really need it. Jeff, great, great question. Here is a question from Steve, and he says his question is about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. He says, it says in that verse that in the ages to come, he, God, might show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm looking for how to understand the word might. Why not use the word will? Um, This is a promise. Uh, He will show the exceeding riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus in the ages to come. But the way he used might here in Ephesians chapter 2 is understanding what God did for us, that he gave his life for us so that we might be able to. That's the thing. It's, it's an offer that's out there to take advantage of. And um, um, to all of those who accept the invitation, um, he'll go on to say we're saved by Grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It, the faith, is the gift of God. And all of that in order to, to, to be able to show us the exceeding riches of his grace. The only impediment to that, Steve, is if we refuse the invitation, if we refuse the offer. So uh, might is not maybe. Uh, we, we use it like that in our use of the language. Uh, but that's not what's intended at all here. Uh, He will show us the exceeding riches of his grace uh, to all who are his. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. You know, it's said that he, uh, the argument theologically is he died only for the elect, or did he die for everybody? Well, the answer is he died for everyone in the world. His death was efficacious, sufficient for every human, but it was only effective for those who respond. So, Um, He will show 
you, Steve, he'll show me, because we're born-again believers, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus in the ages to come. I, I always imagine that moment when we first get it for the first time. Think about that moment when he says, uh, this is what I've done for you. And we're able to understand and we're able to, 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 to receive that. Where we're no longer walking by faith, but instead walking by sight. This is what I had prepared for you. What a wonderful and glorious time that's going to be. So, Steve, thank you for that question. I hope it answers um, your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Jessica. Uh, She says, I was divorced a long time ago, but don't want to remain single the rest of my life. How long must I wait to remarry? Um, Jessica, there's, there's a lot of detail left out in a question like this. Let me say this. If you were divorced and you had biblical grounds for divorcing, or if you were divorced and you were the victim of uh, your spouse wanting a divorce, uh, once the, the, the marriage covenant was broken, then you are free to remarry instantly, instantly. If your divorce happened and you were the one who was in the wrong and, and it happened before you became a Christian, uh, the moment you found yourself in Christ, then of course you're free to remarry. Uh, the old is gone, the new has come, your sins are forgiven and forgotten. The question here is, what was the reason for the divorce? Um, was it a willful decision? I've had a lot of men and women who uh, said, I know God doesn't want me to divorce, but I can't take it anymore. I'm going to divorce. I'll just accept the consequences. And I tell them the consequences then, uh, as a believer, that you'll remain unmarried for the rest of your life. Are you Are you ready to deal with that? And, of course, most of the time in that, that moment of, I've got to get out of here, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll do whatever I have to do. Uh, but it's never that easy. So I think, Jessica, and, and again, we have to factor in grace. Remember, um, when Jesus talked about divorce, he was talking about Jews violating the law of God. We have to factor in grace. And I believe that if somebody is married uh, or remarried, um, they have dealt with their own sin, they've repented of that sin, they've asked forgiveness of that sin, uh, I think they're free to remarry. You, you, you know, reconcile to your husband if you can, but if he's already remarried, then the covenant is broken and, and it is my opinion that you're free then to remarry. You just have to understand how seriously God takes the marriage covenant. One thing's never changed. God hates divorce. And so when we sin, when we think we've got grounds, I'm not talking about um, adultery or abandonment or physical abuse. If those things happen, you have the freedom to divorce. And as a victim, you can remarry again. But what you really need to do is is if those aren't the, the isn't the case, if you have decided just I'm going to leave, I can't take it anymore, um, then then you violated the spirit of the marriage covenant, and you got to deal with God on that. And I don't think it's God's intention that we stay single. I think it's God's intention that if we marry, we do so only after having sufficiently repented of our role. In the divorce, your husband may have been the biggest jerk on the face of the earth, but being a jerk is not grounds for divorce. If you didn't trust God, if you didn't obey, then you've got to deal with the Lord personally, and you got to do it completely. It's not well, you know, he was such a jerk. I had to. I know I shouldn't have, but you say, Lord, I should have stayed. I should have trusted you. I'm so sorry, please forgive me. The minute you've done that, according to 1 John 1, 9, your sins are forgiven and you are purified from all unrighteousness. So, uh, Jessica, if you want to give me a little bit more detail, I could be a little bit more specific, but I hope I covered it sufficiently so that you'll be able to apply whatever your circumstance is. God doesn't intend for us to be miserable and lonely. That's important. 
Here is an anonymous question. Uh, if the tribulation started today, will I be forced to take the mark of the beast? Um, the Antichrist and his minions will try to force you to take the mark of the beast, but um, it's a matter of will and choice. And if the tribulation were to start today, um, and you became a believer in Jesus Christ, then you wouldn't be able to take the mark of the beast. It would cost you your life, 99%, but you wouldn't be forced to take the mark of the beast. You know, I had somebody ask me one time, uh, what would happen if if I, I took the mark of the beast, but I really didn't mean it, I was just kind of kidding, sort of like I had my, my fingers crossed. Uh, nobody will be tricked into taking the mark of the beast. They will know what they're doing. And those who take the mark of the beast are completely apostate. Completely apostate. And they will they will know it. And they will do so um, willingly. hope that helps. Let's go to the telephones and talk with Tanya from San Leandro, California. Hi, Tanya. Welcome to the program. Hi, Papa. How are you? I'm doing good. Hello, My Papa? voice is a little tired. Oh, I'm sorry, Papa. I know. Joy and Jesus. I saw the radio, the uh, TV. Um, someone put it on Facebook about the um, little coverage you guys got, and that was just beautiful and just warmed my heart. I mean, there's. <laughs> I heard from Jenny. Jenny told me how wonderful it was, and just what a wonderful time. And I was going to keep it a secret, but I will be there this weekend. So you'll see me this weekend. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. That's wonderful. Hey, can I ask you a personal question? Sure. Did you guys lose power when when no, they no. shut off the stuff? Are are you in danger? I heard that they're going to do it again. Well, actually, there, that's going to be so. It's a kind of interesting. It's it's a grid, right? So part of the grid did go out. Praise be to God, it wasn't us. But um, okay. some folks in San Jose will likely be losing their power, and you know, it's it's just another reminder that you know really how spoiled we are in in our country. You know, just to be able to flip a switch and light comes on. So it's been very humbling to even think and prepare and, and all these things. So, um, yeah, it, you know, through the, through the bad times, we still smile. So that's a good thing. We are praying for you. That's a good thing. Thank you, Papa. Well, I have a question for you. I'm, I've got a young gal that um, she was not saved. A couple of years ago, I met her in Bible study. She was not saved, and she came to Bible study. She ended up getting saved, and um, uh, she's married, and her husband is not a believer. And uh, they they moved away about mm, four months ago, and uh, bought a home in a, an area away from the Bay Area. And uh, she sends me a message the other night saying that her husband says he'd like a divorce. Mm-hmm. And um, I told her, I said, well, I said, um, you know, we're going to be praying for this, but most importantly, praying for his salvation because you're now on the same playing field, so to speak, right? And I'm trying to find a way. She's defeated. I mean. He said awful things, you know, that, uh, and I, I'm, I'm living proof what Jesus can do. I, I know what he can do. Um, mm. And so it was very, uh, it's very disheartening. And I, I told her, keep your eyes on Jesus. They have a son. He's four. Um, I said, you know, keep your eyes on Jesus and, and just hang in there. I said, you're going to fight fiercely and we're going to fight this battle on our knees. We're going to pray. We're not going to give up. I, and and she so she sends me the first Corinthians I think it's Corinthians where it talks about let if the unbelieving husband wants to go let him go and I think mm-hmm. it's more emotional it's more emotional than it is actually biblical because I told her that he's got the God of restoration and and yes he does hate divorce and yes he has given an allowance for this situation but I don't ha- I don't know how to say don't make it so easy for him you know what I mean and I don't want to be um, unsympathetic, you know, or, or, or come across as, you know, not not caring. And I'm trying to, to really minister to her heart because she says, well, isn't this a contradiction? I said, well, first of all, there's no contradiction in the Bible. She said, you know, it said God hates divorce, but it says here. I said, man wanted that. That was never God's intention um, to give divorce, right? And so if you could help me um, and just pray for them, I'll just give initials. It's M and R. And... Mm-hmm. Um, because I do, I do talk about the program all the time, and I would hate for her to think that I was, you know, I, but it's M and R, and they're just, they're struggling, and, and I, I'm praying for his salvation, because I think, obviously, that's the key, Pastor Ron, is they are unequally yoked now, and they were, like I said, she was a Buddhist, 
she came to Christ, you know, a couple years ago, and it's just she's still new in her walk relatively. Um, yeah. And it's just been heartbreaking. And I don't, like I told my husband, I was telling Carlos, what else can we say? I mean, we've got to keep praying. And I want to encourage her to keep looking up. So you got any well, advice? I really appreciate yeah. it, Papa. I, I do, Tanya. Thank you very much, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing. Are you coming alone or or uh, with your family? I, I'm alone. Uh, it's my sister's fiftieth okay. birthday, so I'm coming. Everyone's got to work, and Marcus is in school, so I'll be I'll be flying solo this weekend. Okay. My love to everybody, and I'll answer the question. Thank you, Tanya. Look Thank forward you, to seeing you. Mm-hmm. You know, this is one of the hardest situations um, to deal with as a, for a, for a new believer. These are hard for for experienced Christians grounded Christians. But for new believers, these are really, really, really hard things. And I've, over the years, taken uh, the approach that where God gives us the freedom to do something that will make our life following Jesus easier, and I don't mean the circumstances, but I mean make it easier to follow Jesus, then we shouldn't look down on that. Um, You know, 1 Peter chapter 3 talks about um, what what a, a man or a woman married to an unbeliever ought to do. Uh, clearly, God wants his soul. Clearly, God wants us to, 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 to be a witness so that the unbeliever can be won over. But there are times, there are times when because God wants us to live at peace, that passage of Scripture that Paul says, if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave, there are times when that's just God's mercy. And so this is one of those things where she really needs to be in the Word. She really needs to be close to Jesus. She needs to be in prayer. And God will tell her. God, His Spirit will lead her in the right direction. And she's got people like you around. But, but here's the one thing that we can't do. As believers, if somebody comes to you and says, well, the Bible says if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. And I believe that this is what we, we can't tell. Him, no, that's not what God said, because it's what he said. So we don't want to make it easy to divorce. That's that's for sure. First Peter three is just the antithesis of that. And, and uh, as you know, Tanya, that's the passage of scripture that saved my life. Paula hung in there with me for 13 years as as she was unequally yoked. Um, but you see, God knows stuff. He knows the, the, the end from the beginning. And he knows what this man is going to do. He knows what he's guilty of. Uh, a man just to show up and say, I don't want to be married anymore. I want a divorce. Um, we have no idea what's going on in the background. So this is one of those things where you've got to trust her with the Lord. He's got his arms around her. He's going to protect her. And it's very possible that he would say, the unbeliever left, let him go. And, of course, she would be free after a divorce to remarry, not to start dating or not to anything until after the divorce. But the idea there is she now can use that time to really get acquainted with her first husband, her real husband, Jesus. And I know as Christians, we hate, hate, hate to see marriages end. Um, But sometimes marriages end and, and it grants us the freedom to follow Jesus with all of our heart. A young believer married to an unbeliever is in an impossible situation. And this just may be by God's design because God knows what this man's going to do or as I said, what he's already done, what he's guilty of. And God knows whether or not this is a marriage that is worth saving. He'll save him. So Tanya, thank you very, very much. Appreciate it. Let's go to Robert calling from San Antonio on line two. Robert, thanks for holding your on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, this is Robert. I talked to you yesterday. Hi, Robert. Uh, concerning my daughter. Yes. Um, I don't know if you remember talking yes, about Yes, I do. I've been, pray- I've been praying for you this morning. Not only that, Robert, but I've had a whole bunch of people email me uh, saying they're praying for you because this is an issue that parents have these days. So lots of people have been praying for you. Well, thank you for that, Pastor Ron. Um, mm-hmm. Just want to give you a quick update. I thought about what you said. I took that to heart. I mean, it already been on my mind, and I just was looking for that. I don't want to just your your guidance, because I respect your opinion tremendously. And so I went home and talked to my wife, and luckily 
shouldn't say luckily. My wife was definitely on board with us from the beginning. Um, she had actually been telling me that for a while. So we sat her down. We had a talk. I basically had recorded what you said, and I played a little bit of that for her. And I said, as a parent, I have to make this decision because you don't know how to discern right now. You think everything is good. You think everything is going, you know, it's, it's not hurting you, but it is hurting you because of the relationship she got herself in through that Instagram and through all that garbage, like you said. And I just want to let you know that I wanted to thank you for that and thank you for praying mm-hmm. for me. And if she was actually, you know, it went better than I thought, actually. Um, Good. So, I mean, of course, she cried a little bit and thinking that we're on her a little bit too much. But in the end, we have been kind of preaching to her a little bit more, not like like in her face, but like just kind of giving her advice. And I teamed her up with a friend of mine who's, um, she's like 30 years old and she's been celibate for four years. She gave her life to the Lord because they've been talking. And, and so with all that, I just wanted to thank you and wanted to ask you a quick question. If you could, I know you're coming up to a break. Yeah, what it's going to be a heartbreaker. What should I have her start reading? Because that's the other part. Okay. What do I give to her to start doing that? If you could kind of get to me I'll, on the break, I'd appreciate it. I'll do, I'll do that on the other side of the break. Thank you, Robert. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our Tuesday show. We have 30 minutes left. 340-9585. Robert, are you still with me? Yes, I am. Okay, good. Thank you so much for holding. The computer cuts us off and we're done, so there's no flexibility at the end of the break. Uh, Robert, would you? What, what was the, the question that you were asking at the end? You know, um, I, I gave myself to the Lord a few years ago, and I don't want to use the word backsliding, but we got caught up in soccer things on Sunday, and we kind of stopped going to church for a couple of years. And uh, I'm just trying to say, what do I start her off with? What would you recommend, like, you know, I, I, I talk to her from time to time, obviously, about Jesus, but what would you recommend? Because she's been asking about, hey, what should I start reading? What should I get into? And what Bible are you recommending nowadays? Oh, bless her heart. Bless her heart. Um, I, I can do that. I've got one other comment uh, that somebody sent me something today. I'll do that after I, I take this question. Uh, Robert, the this first thing I would have been a wake-up for... call for me, too, Pastor Ron. Good. Uh, I, I tell people the, the most important thing a parent can do is be a light that is, is able to be followed. Uh, you need to be able to say to your family, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's not a boast. That's just, hey, if I'm following Jesus, he's going to be really attractive to the rest of the people in your family. So moms and dads have a responsibility for their own walk first and foremost. Uh, otherwise, they end up embittering the children. You know, it's like, oh, they're hypocrites and that kind of thing. And that's just what happens in this world. Uh, the first thing I would have a read, and, and, and I would suggest this as well, Robert. Uh, I, I think you need to take some time, not a, not a whole bunch of time, so this isn't going to uh, invade on her time. But I think as a family, you need to sit down and have a Bible study. Uh, it can be just reading it and talking about what you read. Um, do a, do a, a, a chapter, a half a chapter at a time. But just be available to your family to sit down and say, uh, at this time, three days a week or four days a week, better five days a week, um, we're going to have a little family devotion. And I would start in the book of Ephesians. Um, Ephesians is so great. Your daughter at 15 years old, her mind is is malleable. And what we wanted to do, instead of being shaped by the world of social media and, and being shaped by the, the, the things that she's being fed in school, I'm assuming she goes to public school. Um, You you know, she needs the information uh, from the Word of God to be able to help her uh, resist that which is worldly. And and, um, uh, reading Ephesians, uh, just chapter by chapter, um, you you read it out loud. um, uh, let, Let somebody else, you and your wife, read it out loud. 
And then just invite her in the discussion. What do you think God's saying to us? Maybe it won't be a whole chapter. Maybe it'll just be a part of one, a section in it. And in Ephesians, Robert, she's going to find just to what lengths God went to to save her soul. She's going to learn how precious and valuable she is. And and we all need to know that. But believe me, what we need to know more than anything else as a 15-year-old is that God loves me. The world needs to make a little bit of sense. It's a confusing place. Uh, and Ephesians is the place that I would start. Um, there's also a book that I would I would suggest to you, uh, especially something you and your wife could read together. It's called The Pursuit of Holiness by A.W. Tozer, T-O-Z-E-R. And that's a book that um, um, it'll, it'll bring you to your knees. It'll bring you to your knees. Uh, I could also recommend a paperback by my uh, pastor who's now with the Lord, uh, a, a, a paperback called Why Grace Changes Everything. Uh, and I think that would be a good family book as well. And the idea is you need to develop a really grateful heart for all that she's done or all that he's done for you. And and she needs to, to really understand that 15, it's time for her to stand on her own two feet, not just mom and dad's Jesus, but her Jesus. Her Jesus is the one who will help her resist the things of this world. And and Robert, I'm so grateful that you said um, um, I'm trying to think of the right word here. <coughs> Sorry, I had a cold. Um, I'm grateful that you said that this is a wake-up call for you. Because mom and dad's role is being so focused on and in love with Jesus that um, your daughter would just look and see that that I want mom and dad's Jesus. It's really, really important. So um, I think that's that's good. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585. Apologize for the coughing. Um... The, the, one other thing I want to suggest, I was sent something today by somebody who, uh, um, and I don't have the reference, but I'm sure it's easy to find, um, um, a woman who is sort of on a campaign um, to, to, to learn more about social media because she found, she saw the way that social media was influencing her son. She had two teenage sons. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, social media—they—they—they they, they know everything you're doing, everything you're seeing, and uh, believe me, there are people out there who are watching and are going to try to influence our children uh, for evil instead of good. And one of the things I told my church is, my hope is that they would, perhaps more than anything else, they—they um, uh, they would be equipped to, to deal with the world around them. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from our email inbox. This one is from Mick. He says, "How would you respond to the person who says treasures in heaven verses and what they mean, and how could unity with God possibly be made any better by the treasures is beyond me." Uh, Mick, they don't understand the treasures. That's what it is. Jesus is the one who said to store up treasures in heaven for ourselves. You know, I know it sounds uber spiritual to say, well, I don't need treasures. I just want to be with Jesus. Jesus is the one who told us to store up treasures in heaven. And the idea is, and, and this is hard to describe, because we've got this picture of heaven is perfect for everybody, and it will be. However, there's going to be a judgment seat, the famous seat of Christ, where the things that we did on this earth are going to be judged, not for salvation, that issue's been settled on the cross if we're really born again. But our works are going to be judged based on whether they were good or good for nothing. A good work is a work that glorifies God. It's a work that was done with the right heart, with the right motive, and, and, and God's so pleased he's got a crown of righteousness waiting for you. Uh, a good for nothing work is something that you did out of guilt or compulsion. Uh, maybe somebody made you feel guilty because you didn't give uh, a good-for-nothing work is a, a work that's done with the wrong motive. God, who is the discerner of our hearts and thoughts, 
knows exactly what our motives are. Uh, a work that was intended to, to elevate you in the eyes of other people is a good-for-nothing work. Those works will be burned out. And I think what the Lord is telling us, and the Apostle Paul expands on this, is that we want those treasures in heaven. Now, when we get our crowns of righteousness, we're going to cast them down at his feet. So it's not about exalting us. It's just Jesus taking the opportunity, as demonstrated by both parables, the talents and the parable of the minas, uh, is Jesus saying, you did what I asked you to do. You were faithful. I could trust you and look at the rewards that you gained. And Jesus will get all the glory, Mick. So he, he, he needs not to argue with Jesus. We're to store up treasures in heaven for ourselves. And the best I can come up with is that we're going to work. We're going to work in the millennial reign. We're going to have work in heaven. Work in heaven as well. And uh, all that work is going to bring more glory and honor to the Lord. And I believe will increase our capacity to enjoy heaven. Truth is, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, some people are going to get to heaven in what I call the smoking section. All their works burned up, but they themselves will be saved as one barely escaping the fire. And, and there's going to be people in heaven who are grateful to be there. And heaven is going to be a great place. Um, but they're going to be aware of what they missed out on. And again, I can't explain that any better than that. It's just what the Bible teaches us. Um, Mick, I tell people all the time that I don't want to miss out on one thing God has for me. Now, your friend is right. When he says Jesus is the main treasure, for sure. But all the other treasures that we're storing up, those are treasures that will glorify him. And we need to pursue those with all of our heart. So thank you very, very much for that, Mick. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a next question, anonymous. Uh, what would you tell someone who has been hurt by a church and who now refuses to go to any church. Uh, anonymous, I'd tell them to go to church. Um, you know, somebody who stops going to church because somebody hurt their feelings, um, I think that betrays the kind of heart that they went to church with in the first place. You see, when Jesus says that, that we're to go to church, he says that in his word. When Jesus says that we're his bride, we make up the church, the, the called out ones or the separated ones. That's what the word church, ecclesia in the Greek means. Um, we're to do this for him. And the person who says, well, I got hurt. Unbelievers treat me better than Christians do. Um, they're, they're demonstrating the selfishness of their heart. Now, I realize that there are people who are truly hurt in churches. I get it. But it's not Jesus' fault. And so the question is, do we trust Jesus enough to trust him again? And, the, and again, the, the response that we get anonymous a lot is, well, well, I trust Jesus, but I don't trust Christians. Uh, that's like saying, Jesus, I love you, but your wife is ugly. We just can't have that approach. The other thing that's really important here, and this is what you need to communicate to this person, is that their problems will not get fixed apart from church. We have to be a part of a healthy body. If you go to a restaurant and you get bad food, you don't stop going to all restaurants. You just don't go back to that restaurant. Well, the same thing is true in a church. We have wonderful churches all over San Antonio. Are there some bad ones? Of course there are. But if you get a bad one, you're still going to be able to find something else. So just leave it in the Lord's hands. But the problem is no Christian walk is healthy apart from being involved in a local church. I want to say that again. No Christian walk is healthy, fruitful or vibrant, apart from being part of a local body. And unless and until we understand that, then we're going to stay in that same place spiritually and we're never going to rise above the thing that happened to us, and we can play the victim card all we want. 
Now, a lot of people would say, well, Pastor Ron, you're being insensitive. No, I'm not. I'm so sensitive. I want people to get right with God. I want them to get fixed. I want them to get healthy spiritually. And you can't do it on your own. When Robert called just a few moments ago, he said, you know, they got involved in soccer and stopped going to church. Well, you know, it's when you stop doing those things that you distance yourself from the Lord. So dig in. There's lots of good churches. I get people here all the time, Anonymous, and I mean every week. We we have tons of new people that show up. Um, and I always tell them, that, you know, they want to meet me because I'm a public person. Uh, but but uh, I tell them the same thing. The best part about this church are those people you see. Don't don't uh, be shy. Dig in. Introduce yourself to people. They are the best of the best. And when they dig in, well, they find out the best. Hope that helps you. Here's an interesting question from Amy. She says, when a preacher says, unto death do you part in a marriage ceremony, what would happen if one was a Christian and the spouse was not when the rapture comes. Um, the person in, when the rapture comes who wasn't a believer would be left behind. And, and he would be plunged into death, a spiritual death, unless he got converted, Amy, uh, during the Great Tribulation. Uh, but you'd be taken to heaven with Jesus uh, and, and um, you'd be there in an instant and you would be Instantly at the marriage supper of the Lamb, you and I would be uh, at our wedding banquet. So um, I never say unto death do do you part in a marriage ceremony. Uh, what I say, you'll be faithful um, uh, until Jesus comes for us. And um, I just like that better. That's hopeful. It's life rather than talking about death. Uh, but if, if if you're married to an unbeliever, the unbeliever will be left behind to face unspeakable terror, and the believer would be raptured uh, to be with Jesus in, in heaven. Let's see. Our next question comes from Rob. He says, Hank Hanegraaff converted to orthodoxy. Does that mean that he has left the faith? Rob, I don't know. I, I don't I'm not the judge of those things. Uh, I believe Hank Hanegraaff is a believer. Uh, I think it was a, a grave error to convert to orthodoxy. Um, uh, but you know, there's going to be a lot of people in heaven with with doctrinal issues. Uh, so no, I don't think he's left the faith at all. I find it uh, intriguing that a man who says he's the Bible answer man is suddenly thrown away a whole bunch of the Bible that he proclaimed for all those years to sort of formulate it into uh, to, to an orthodox doctrinal position. Um, uh, I've listened to his explanation for it. And he said, I feel so much closer to Christ now. Now, I've heard Hank with my own ears. I was a, uh, especially as a brand new believer, uh, I never missed a show. Uh, and and I, I've heard him with my own ears say over and over that feelings don't matter. It's what the Word says. It's what we know. And yet he saw, he says in his own words, people who are so much closer and had a more intimate relationship with Jesus. I think a lot of that was a reflection of, of um, well, maybe two things. One, spiritual warfare diminishes when you make a wrong choice. The enemy lightens up. Uh, I think the second thing that it says is that things seem to go better because you feel better. You, you don't have the not only the war, warfare, but the constant battle uh, every day to walk with Jesus. I think we forget that walking with Jesus isn't supposed to be a series of goosebumps. Walking with Jesus is something that we're to strive for every day, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. But it's something that's got to be the goal of our salvation every single day. I want to hear from you, Lord. I want to be with you, Jesus. And in orthodoxy, uh, again, I'm not doubting that they're Christians. Uh, if they are born again, they are. But I think they're missing out on some of the beautiful um, near-essential doctrines 
of the historic Christian faith uh, because of the way it makes them feel. I think in orthodoxy there is a sense of, of works that are sort of compelled rather than works that are a result of a labor of love. Um, but Rob, I can tell you, I know Orthodox believers uh, who I'm sure are saved. Uh, and I am personally convinced um, that Hank Hanegraaff is a believer. We'll see him in heaven. Um, that's about all I have to say. I, I just don't think um, having correct doctrine is an essential of the historic Christian faith. I think it is an essential for fruitful living. So I hope that helps. Angel wants to know. Why do you think some people get saved and produce fruit? Well, others seem to leave the faith. Uh, Angel, the reason we don't produce fruit, um, whether we're real believers or not, I'll deal with your question specifically in a moment. But um, the reason most of us don't produce fruit is because we lost the fear of God. Uh, I think we have uh, an abundance of teachers who uh, tell us what we want to hear and don't tell us what we need to hear. And and I think once you find yourself in a place where you're not getting fed the Word of God and, and then because it's not interesting to you, you're not pursuing it on your own, uh, your relationship dries up. And I think when the relationship dries up, a lot of people leave the faith. Now, did they ever have the faith in the first place? That's the question. First John 2.19 says that they went out from us because they were never really one of us or a part of us. I think there are a lot of emotional conversions. You can read the parable of the sower and uh, the types of soil are reflective of the, the types of hearts that the Word of God hits uh, home in. And I think there are just a lot of people who uh, have an emotional conversion uh, I think there are others who feel really guilty. Uh, I think others come to Jesus because they're hoping that he'll solve all their problems. And none of those things are, are things that were promised. And I think they leave the faith because um, life comes back. Life comes back. Now, why some people get saved, produce fruit, and somebody sitting in the same church doesn't, it's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's all. He will, the Holy Spirit will, convert every heart that will be converted. His job is to draw us to Jesus. His job is to testify about Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, we have to be willing to let him change our heart. And the people that are willing to let God change your heart, those are the people that are truly saved and, and their lives become abundantly fruitful. Uh, those who withhold their hearts from Jesus or try to withhold parts of their hearts, those who remain in willful sin doing things that they know God doesn't want them to do, uh, those are the people who seem to, to produce no fruit at all and often uh, leave the faith. So it's just a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, angel. There's, there's no other way to describe it. It has always been one of the fascinating things to me. People in the same room hear the same message both of their lives are a mess and one of them comes to Jesus for everything to change and the other stands back saying, oh, I can handle this, I can fix this. I don't know why that is. All I know is that the Holy Spirit will save every heart that will be saved. You know, when the uh, crucifixion scene, when Jesus is hung on a cross between two thieves, that's a perfect example of what I was just talking about. Uh, those two men were equidistant from Jesus. They heard the same things, all seven sayings on the cross. They saw the way Jesus was mocked and ridiculed. They, they, they recognized that he was holy, and yet they both hurled insults at him, and yet one of the thieves' heart was changed. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, the one who heard all the same things and saw all the same things well, he was the one that was only concerned about him. And he has now for 2,000 years been in torment. So, uh, Angel, that's a question that only God can answer. What we have to do is keep living our lives for Christ and show others that our Jesus is worth having. 
How much time we got? Two minutes? Greg, I can do this question. Greg says, can you deny the Trinity and be a real Christian? Um, Greg, uh, no. Um, uh, you can't change the nature, the character, or the makeup of God. Uh, God is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you take away um, one or all three, or if you try to combine them all in one, you've lost the essence of God. So you have a God that's incapable of saving. See, the Father sent the Son that we might see who the Father is, that we, that we might want to be saved. The Son revealed the person of God to us. Showed us how good he was. Showed us how great he was. And when Jesus was ready to go, he sent the Holy Spirit to testify about him. And all three persons of the Godhead are described as God. Not one-third God, one-third God, one-third God, but all three are God. And that is an essential of our historic Christian faith, Greg. So to deny the Trinity is to take away the Word of God. It's to take away the character of God. And only God can save, so we need Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, last thing I'll say we're running out of time is this. The Trinity's hard to understand, especially for brand new believers. So you can have somebody whose heart is changed by the Holy Spirit, but then they come to the God, I don't understand this, it doesn't make sense to me, I don't know if I can believe that. Um, they're a brand new believer. God will reveal that to them. But what we've got to do is understand He is who He is and we don't get to change who He is. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate the call. Sorry for the voice today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll see you tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.